no, he doesn't go to church here. You're okay. <laughs> Little modern day glimpse of what Malachi might be like if he was putting that message out, huh? All this, give till it hurts. Uh, <laughs> that's not exactly what we're talking about, but it fits and it kind of puts things into perspective. Well, what a great time of worship this morning. As we continue to worship God and his word, I want you to go ahead and turn to Malachi chapter 4. And as you turn there, I'm reminded once again of the priest of that time. There was certainly no room for flippancy in what the priests were called to do back then. You see, the, uh, the priest had to be careful because his manner reflected uh, the manner in which he offered the sacrifice was just as important as the sacrifice itself. And his attitude was of great consequence. The priest couldn't just go on and, and splatter blood around like it had no meaning, as if the sacrifice was something merely to get through, just a process. Every part of it had to be done with care. Every part of it had to be done with reverence for the Lord. And the same is true for us today. Our attitude for worship is, a, is of great consequence We shouldn't see this time together just as something to endure or just as a process to go through in our weekly checklist. You see, the priest of Malachi's day had developed lame attitudes. And and they developed lame, lame attitudes toward what they had been called by God to do. Take the Day of Atonement, for example. In those days, two goats were involved in the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. The high priest would slaughter one goat and sprinkle its blood over the altar. And then the other goat, the scapegoat, was sent into the desert. In those, um, was sent into the desert. But first, the high priest would place both hands on this goat. And while his hands were on this goat's head, he would confess the sins of all the people for the year. I read that and I think, that must have taken a while. I think about just the, my shortcomings in a week. And then I think about all of you perfect people, and I think, well, to do it weekly wouldn't be that bad. But, you know, to take a whole year and, and present yourself before the Lord and confess the sin of all the people for a year. And then they would take this goat and they would send it out into the desert. And they would send it away to a place where sin belonged, away from the community. You see, the goat had to go away from the community because the people were together. And, and I think that it weighed on the priest heavily when, he, when, when that moment came of, of putting his hands on the goat and confessing the sins of all the people. They were together in many things. They worked together. They lived together. They worshiped together. But on this particular day, they were also together in sin. They were together also, I think, in the anticipation of the ceremony. While the high priest was doing that, the people were waiting. And I think something happened here because after the priest completed the sacrifice, they got to start over, renewed. And they were reminded that they were the people of God once again. They were the ones called out of darkness into the light. They were ready to be his community once again. And, and I read about that and I think about like CIY and I tell parents all the time, CIY is great because it takes our kids and it puts them in a place where they get to focus on God for a week. And, and when you do that, when you take away distractions of the world, when you really put yourself before God, 
You come out of that week knowing who you are, knowing what you were created for, having purpose, knowing where you're going to go. Now, to fault, all of us within a few months start making mistakes again or a few days or a few hours. The point is, just like that day of atonement, when we really bring ourselves before the Lord and we set everything else aside, we get that renewedness. And I want to challenge you as we go through this. Every Sunday should be like that day for us. Every Sunday should be that day to set aside the sin in our lives, to hold ourselves accountable, to to come before God during communion and during worship, knowing we're not worthy, but thankful that Jesus Christ came before us and paved that path. In studying Malachi, here's a little nugget of wisdom that I've discovered. I think the priest had come to a place where I said before, where they had developed lame attitudes toward what they had been called to do by God. And the end result of their lame attitude was fractured worship. The end result was fractured worship. But it wasn't just blasé. It was fractured worship toward the Lord. And they weren't the only ones. Like I said, they were together with the people. And the people also developed lame attitudes. They may have gotten it right once in a while, but for the most part, it was their lame attitudes that produced their fractured worship. How else do we explain the blemished sacrifices, the offerings, the the blemished actions of those, for lack of a better term, who knew better? Pray with me. Father God, as we come before you this morning, as we read your word, I pray that you would open our hearts. Lord, we do not want to be people who come before you with fractured worship or with lame attitudes. So I pray that that you create in us a new heart, that we can come before you knowing who we are, knowing what we were created for, knowing what pleases you and willing to walk out of here doing those things. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Malachi chapter 4 says this. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day is coming. We'll set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left in them. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And that's it. That's the end of the book of Malachi. Just kind of stops right there. So it makes me wonder, how, how do we ensure that we are the ones who revere his name? That we are the ones that get to leap like calves released from the stall. I love that. And, and I think everybody, has anybody not seen that before? We used to have baby calves, and you keep them up at night so they don't get in trouble. Man, you let them out in the morning, and they are just, woohoo! awesome. That's how we should be. We come out of this building at 12.05, 
if I keep within my time limit. And you should be like, woohoo, not because the sermon's over, but because you revere the Lord. That's how we should be with that excitement and that enthusiasm. Rather than burned up like the arrogant and the evildoer. What can we do to make sure that our attitudes do not become lame before the Lord and keep our worship from becoming fractured? Well, we must remember the importance of the local church. And in remembering the importance of the local church, we must remember that the church is not a building of bricks and mortar and carpet and wood. Instead, it's the body of Christ. It is us functioning together to provide communion with one another while glorifying God with its existence. Maybe right now you're starting to measure that definition of church against some of your past experiences or some of the past churches you've been a part of. And and when you compare the two, they don't exactly, you don't get warm fuzzies thinking about the biblical fellowship you've experienced as a Christian. Maybe you've been hurt somewhere. Sometimes if we're honest, it's even harder to think that some of the churches we've been a part of actually glorify God with their existence. Because sadly, some of them don't. But... Sometimes, sadly, we don't either. Hear this very clearly. We, no, we must not abandon the local church. Our churches have had flaws and errors in the past, but there is no question about that. But even with those flaws, even with those mistakes, God places much importance on the local church. There's no question as to the significant role that God intended the local church to play in the life of his people. I use the word local intentionally because some people would make the argument that you can be a part of the church without going to a building or joining a fellowship of believers. The problem in that understanding is that all that's really meant by church there is a belief in Jesus. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the local church as described in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, where everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, throughout history, God has chosen to use the local church as the primary vehicle to spread his name and his fame across the world. Now, don't get me wrong. I have nothing against those parachurch ministries and mission-sending agencies and conferences and camps and things like CIY and stuff like that. I think those things are awesome. But those things cannot replace our commitment to the local church. See, the reason God has sent these words to Malachi is that he knows what's coming. He wants us to have direction and a firm foundation on how we worship and on how we live. And when you look in the New Testament, it's impossible to avoid the significance of the, of the local church. Every letter that was written in the New Testament was written directly to or intended specifically for local churches. Even in the Old Testament, the local church's importance is clearly visible. We see the significance of the temple and going to the tabernacle, of giving offerings, of remembering the, the covenants and the promises. Those things have been revealed to us. 
Those are at least a partial foreshadowing of the local church when you look in the Old Testament. And we've seen the same things displayed in the context of Malachi with the Levitical priests. I say all that to say this. Any negative experiences that you've had with churches are not caused to abandon the church. We can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. People don't like it when you do that. We may be disgusted with what maybe something has happened to us or with what churches have become, but it's only become that way as a result of our own unholy hijacking. But we can't give up on it. Listen, people, you can't love Jesus and hate his wife. But that's how we have allowed, that's what we have allowed to happen both inside and outside of faith. That's what we have allowed to happen inside and outside of Christianity. If you haven't noticed, the world has decided that it is okay with Jesus, but not so okay with the church. People say, well, I like Jesus. I just don't like Christians. That should hurt. It's it's not right. And unfortunately, many Christians have decided the same thing. I have family members who say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. The Bible says differently. We miss out on so much. It's not acceptable. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 through 25. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. I love this next part, verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, Scripture insists that we be active in the local church, that each of us must take active involvement in God's church in helping it to impact our community and ultimately our world. And as Christians, we must not separate ourselves from the local church simply because of the transgressions of its people. I spoke a few weeks ago, I think it was Malachi chapter 3, where it talked about divorce. It says God does not like divorce. In that context, he was talking about divorcing ourselves or separating ourselves from the church. That doesn't bring honor to God. And as Christians, we must not separate ourselves from the local church. We must come to grips with the fact that we will all be held accountable for our relationship to the local church and how we treat her, just as those who have turned people away from it will be held accountable. It is all of our duty to work through things and to stay the course, not to get lazy and abandon the ship when things get a little rocky. Sometimes as Christians, we forget the impact that God's church can have on the world around us, and we need to be reminded of that. It is truly sad to see so many people affected negatively by the church, especially when God established it to be a place of encouragement, truth, rest, refuge, community, and commitment. We must remember that the church was established to give God glory. That's the reason. The church was established to give God glory. One of the ways it does that is by impacting the everyday lives of Christ's followers in a positive manner. That's what we should be doing. Part of that positive impact comes through receiving From the church, we receive spiritual encouragement and companionship. We receive the great comfort knowing that we're not in this life alone. 
We receive great comfort in knowing that whatever we go through, we're not supposed to be alone. That it's okay for me to share with you what my struggle is. And it's okay for you to share with me what your struggle is. Because we're not alone in those struggles. And we're not alone in this world. You see, the church is meant to be a reminder of the invisible attributes of God's love, care, comfort, and wisdom. One of the things I love most about the church is that in the church, the invisible becomes visible through the lives of those around us. His invisible qualities become visible to me when I see how much you guys care for one another. When I see how much we reach out to help one another or to bring someone along that needs a helping hand. It's great to think about all that we get from the local church. It's good. In fact, it's tempting to get comfortable just being recipients. And I think that's what happened with the priests in the Old Testament. I think they got comfortable being recipients. It's tempting, but it happens. You see, when we get comfortable, our affections for God seem to cool just a bit. When we get comfortable... Our affections for the church seem to cool just a bit. When we get comfortable, we begin to think about what we get from the church, whether it's good or bad. And then that coolness allows us, has like a narrow focus that reveals the consumerism of our culture for what it is. And I think that's what's invaded our faith. That's what allows some of these things. It seems that sometimes we treat the church like a fast food restaurant demanding to have what we want when we want it. And if one church can't offer it, we don't come back. Or we go down the street to the next church, or or we just stop going altogether because we're consumers. It seems that sometimes we we fall into that, that gap of being church consumers. But here's the thing. Exclusively focusing on what we receive in a church context is really only looking at half of what God intended for our relationship with the church to be. They're getting ready to take the offering. Give me the checkbook. You want the checkbook? Yeah, give me the checkbook. You mean like here? Right now? No, I mean later. After they take the offering. You see, that way I can just walk right up front and hand it to Fat Rock in the middle of his sermon. You know, the personal touch. Of course I mean now. Okay, but remember, we're in church. Please save your screaming till we get home. Now, why would I want to scream? You always scream when you look at the checkbook. I don't scream. I cry. Whatever you do, you make a big scene. All right, all right. Just give me the checkbook, and I promise I will remain very calm no matter how many checks are written. Okay, remember, you promised. Um, here? Yes? What happened to checks 943 to 951? Um, I was kind of hoping that you knew. You mean there's nine missing checks? Well, no, they're not missing exactly. Somebody has them. I'm just not sure who. And what about check 958? Oh, that, that was for the paper boy. 
Oh, at least you remembered that one. Yes, it was the paper boy or the mortgage payment, one of the two. Don't you think there's a bit of a difference between a check written to the paperboy and one for the house payment? Well, not exactly. They both threatened to foreclose. <sighs> and, and what's this? You wrote a check to Sears for thirty-two ninety-eight, but only deducted twelve ninety-eight from the balance. That's because I had a $20 credit from my last deposit, which I purposely didn't credit to the existing balance. This may sound stupid, but why would you do something like that? So I could buy a new pair of boots and not feel like I'm spending anything. But how can you balance our account that way? Balance? Why do I want to do that? Do I look like an accountant to you? And what about check 973? It's there. No, you just have a bunch of check... Or, uh, Question marks. No, see, I deducted $20 from the balance. Oh, I see. You remember how much it was for, but not who you wrote it to. Not exactly. Uh, how not exactly? You see, when I don't remember who I wrote a check to, I just put down $20. The real check is more than $20 or less than $20. It all evens out. But what if you put down $20 and it was really for 100 Oh, that's where my cushion comes in. <laughs> cushion? Yeah, you know, deposits that I didn't write down or debits that I forgot to put in there. Stuff like that. It all adds up. But how do you expect me to write a check for the offering when I have no idea how much money we have in the bank? <laughs> like everyone else, dear, by faith. By faith. I thought that was a very fitting way to end Malachi as it talks about bringing your best. You know, in order to, to not fall into the trap of lame attitudes, and, and, and by the way, I was supposed to say, that's not really how their checkbook is. That was all exaggerated for, for the point, okay? Uh, but in order to not fall into the trap of lame attitudes and fractured worship, we need to be reminded that church is not the place where we solely come and get fed and ministered to. Instead, it's a place where we are to give. It's a place where we're to give our time, our talents, our energies, our money, and our passions in order to meet the needs of others and in order to honor God and that he can be glorified in this community that we live in. We do this for people both inside and outside the church when we utilize our gifting from God through giving, we stop being consumers of the church and through giving, we stop going to church and we start being the church. I want to challenge you today as we prepare to give back to the Lord from what he has blessed us with. I want to challenge you to be the church. Don't settle any longer for being a consumer of the church. Bless God with your giving. Bless him by being the church in your actions as well. Don't make me put on my linebacker jersey. All right? <laughs> Seriously, we are going to collect up our offerings right now. If you haven't already, that was your opportunity to write a check while they were doing that. Uh, go ahead and take your offering out. Just kind of set it before you. Hold on to it for a second. I just want to pray with you guys. Father God, we're here this morning.
as, as family. And Lord, you know what our checkbooks look like. You also know what our hearts look like. And Lord, I pray that, that as we give today, that our hearts will match what our giving is. I pray, Lord, that, that we don't give out of a, a lame attitude or, or a fractured sense of worship, but that we give because you gave first. You gave us life, and through your son Jesus Christ, you, you give us life that we can live to the abundant. And I pray we reflect that. And I pray that whatever's given just can be multiplied here, Lord. We can honor you in the ways that we serve our community, the ways that we reach out across the world. I just ask that you bless this offering. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As we know, we've all done it, that get ready for church so we can go learn about the love of Jesus. We're running late, and we get all crazy. And then we show up. How are you? Oh, bless you. I'm fine. Thank you very much. It's what we do. That's lame. That is lame. It's okay. When I say, how are you? And you say, you know what? It's been a rough morning. Hey, I'm glad you're here. You made it through a rough morning, and you still showed up to worship. God respects that. You see, what about when we, we sing and we pray and we have communion and we take up offering and I doubt that God is pleased when we just mindlessly repeat the words because they're on the screen. Songs written about his awesomeness and we don't really even take the time to consider what it really means when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come. Because we just get familiar with it. And there are those times where maybe we stayed up so late on a Saturday, we can barely even stay awake on Sunday, much less focused. And I got to thinking about our modern day worship experience, and it's really quite comical when you look at it from, from this perspective. It goes kind of like this. We, we act like we're reading scripture while secretly we're reading the Christian standard or the bulletin, or if our Bible's on our iPad or our phone, we're checking Facebook or Twitter. But I take notes on Evernote. I understand, so do I. Sometimes we're, we're here and we're thinking more about what's for lunch and when we'll be dismissed than what the preacher is saying. Or maybe we're here and, and we're just so busy texting others during worship about what you're going to do later that day. I have to look over this way because they're more adults. I don't want to offend the teenagers, <laughs> see? Because <laughs> they would never do that at church, understand. Um, Mitzi said the only difference is when they were kids, they just wrote notes and passed them. So I guess it's always been in church, the whole note thing. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's what we do. You know, we, we come to church and, and we, these moments that we come together, they're supposed to be climactic. Sundays are a foretaste of eternity. What, this is what eternity in heaven is supposed to be like. All of us praising God, worshiping him, listening and enjoying the fellowship. And instead, we treat them like they're a lecture series about the tax code or something. We come in and, okay, fine, here, they're going to talk about giving. And Listen, we need to understand. And I opened up our service with this. We are not co-equals with God. Our relationship with him is different than any human relationship we may have. 
All too often we treat God like he's our buddy that we hang out with on Friday night. But the truth is, our buddies are not omniscient. They're not omnipresent, and they're not omnipotent. And again, we can know him intimately, but we need to be cautious in devaluing the greatness of God because it affects us in many ways. God knows us personally, and he loves us. He loves us more than anything we can imagine. However, Jesus is not our homeboy, and God is not our co-pilot. He is the creator and sustainer of the world. And I believe that just like the priests of the Old Testament, we need to reacquaint ourselves with reverence toward him. That's what the book of Malachi is all about. We need to reacquaint ourselves with God. Malachi is a rebuke. It's a rebuke to a group of people who had fallen into a routine and no longer realized the significance of their actions. It's a rebuke towards those of us who equate Christianity to citizenship and we move no deeper than just set habitual patterns. But like I said last week, Malachi is also about restoration and hope. As the book closes, there is a reminder to the faithful to remain faithful. Verse 4 says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Listen, they're right there at the end of Malachi. And again, this is the last thing that God says to his people. For 400 years. And here at the end, there's a foreshadowing of what's to come. Here at the end of Malachi is a foreshadowing of John the Baptist coming. There's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, our Messiah, the unblemished offering coming. I have one last video that I want to show you today. But this one requires you to read along. And I want you to read through this and see if maybe you can find yourself somewhere in this. Go ahead and watch this. Did you catch all that? I feel closest to God when the one girl says I have a brush in my hand. We who are many are one in God. Let me tell you, if it was up to me, we'd have church in the amphitheater every Sunday because I feel closest to God when I'm outside, like doing things in nature. I love taking a day and putting up a hammock and reading and studying. This video is a great example that we all come together That when we all come together, and in the words of the Meredith Andrews song that we open with today, when we burn the idols, when we get rid of the things that have replaced God, when we lay our lives down here on his altar and empty our hands of all that we've been holding back, when we replace all that with our individual talents, our gifts and our skills, and we lay them out and we present them before the Lord as our whole offering, we are one. And when we are... We are one in service, when we are one in love, when we are one in outreach and in accountability, and when we are one in worship, then we are one before the Lord. We are no longer blemished. We're no longer crippled. We will not have lame attitudes, and we will no longer bring fractured worship before the Lord. I think that we all have come to... Like our Jesus, like we like our fast food. Quick, 
easy, comfortable, and tasting good. And the problem with that is that when you read through the scriptures, very rarely do you find someone leaving an encounter with Jesus with a good taste in their mouth. In fact, more often than not, you find people leaving the presence of the Lord with more questions than they had to begin with. But maybe that's part of what it really means to follow the Lord. I don't know about you, but in reading through Malachi and in in preaching on the topic blemished, I've realized that I have become very uncomfortable with how comfortable my relationship with the Lord is. As, As we continue to spend one hour a week in study and fellowship and service and worship and prayer, as you read through books of the Bible like Malachi and as you look into the New Testament, maybe you'll have doubts. Maybe you'll have questions and maybe in the midst of of your study and your fellowship and your service and your worship and your prayer, maybe in the midst of all that, you will find that your relationship with the Lord is going to be more solid than you ever thought it could be. And your picture of Jesus and who he is in your life to be growing and to be bigger than you ever thought it could be, both in you and in the world that we serve. As the praise team sings this song, it's called Alabaster Jar. I want you to read the words, but don't just read them. I want you to apply them, sing them if you want, but make them your prayer this week. Lord, here I am. This is the chorus from it. It says this, Lord, here I am. Take me as an offering. Here I am giving every heartbeat for your glory. Take me. Are you tired of allowing the world to distract you with lame attitudes that cause your worship to be fractured? Won't you come as we stand and sing? Make your decision today. Let's no longer live rebuked lives with crippled actions and warped motives that cause lame attitudes and fractured worship. Let's live to honor God. Let's be a church that honors God and let's impact our community in a way that honors God. Don't just sing today. Stand with us. Decide and act on your decision.